Hello and welcome to Chapter by Chapter. I'm your host, Will Cowan. If you're a regular listener of the show, you're probably expecting my good friend, as I always call him, Steve, joining me at this moment. Steve's not with me today because I'm doing something a little bit special. We're in the off season right now, so we're in we're in the middle of producing our next season, but we didn't want to not have content for you guys while we're in this uh, limbo period. Uh, as we speak right now, we're on track to be releasing the next season somewhere near end of October, more likely uh, early November. But because we love you guys so much, we just wanted to get something out there. And luckily, this other podcast came falling into my lap to show you guys. So I have a whole episode here that I'm going to be sharing with you. But before I go into introducing the show and what it's about, I want to go off and say thank you to everybody that has been listening to the show, that's been supporting us, that sent me messages. We did like a rollout a couple of weeks ago, kind of when the last episode aired, where I kind of got out of my shell a little bit and so did Steve where we shared it on uh, social media something that him and I have never done before so it was really really heartening and uh, really motivating to see how many people were responding positively to the show and uh, just being supportive of it Um, as we're making the next season we have other plans going on plans within plans as Frank Herbert would say uh, we're still working out the details of that but there's going to be more of us if you guys like hanging out with us where there's going to be more of us for you to should I say chew on I don't want to say chew on but eh, it is what it is now to introduce this next podcast so this is a bonus episode but it's also the first episode of a new show that I'm doing called sci-fi punks. I've mentioned it on this show a couple of times that I play in the band, uh, the Galacticas, based out of Calgary, Alberta. It's a pop-punk band that fuses nerdy references and pop-punk, and check us out on Spotify. There's the plug for that. The podcast features me, my singer Anthony Janicki, and our good friend Nathan uh, from the band Brain Bent, and we're just hanging out, just talking about sci-fi, talking about comic books, talking about just general pop culture. Uh, the reason why I wanted to post this episode is because it's a great segue into our next season that we're going to be releasing uh, about Dune. However, this particular podcast is all about Dune, like not just a chapter of Dune. I'm talking the entire book. So if you don't want any spoilers, if you guys want to read the book with us, shut this off right now and wait for the next <laughs> wait for the next uh season to hit because we're going to be talking about all of it and it's going to be full of spoilers and I don't want I don't want you guys to miss out on something that I'm super excited about. If you're local in Calgary and you want to check out some new bands, we've got some local acts playing on the podcast which I'm super stoked about. Uh their names will be in the episode notes. Nevertheless, here are the Sci-Fi Punks. Greetings, flesh creatures. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Punks. I'm your host, Anthony J. We're just a few Canadian punk rockers who try to bring a deep and unique analysis to all things sci-fi and how they relate to our current social and political environment with some really cool music on the side. Today, the topic is the 1964 novel Dune by Frank Herbert. 
Was it ahead of its time, or is it horribly dated by today's standards? I'll be talking about this with Nathan from the band Brainbent and Will from the Galacticas, which is also my band. This conversation was a total blast, and I think we really brought forward some great insights that I'll wager not even the most hardcore Dune fans have ever considered before. Oh yeah, just a quick note before we jump into the show, this was kind of our first episode and well, we always knew we wanted to include some local music, but we hadn't decided on which bands at the time of this recording, and we're going to make that pretty apparent in the convo. It's kind of funny. So now that I'm speaking from the future, I can tell you that the first band you're going to hear is the Galacticas. Yes, I'm playing my own band, but fuck you, sue me. These podcasts are a lot of work, and it's not going to be every episode, probably. Then, during the middle of the show, you're going to hear the Ringwalds, and finally, to close it off, we got Citizen Rage, all local Calgary punk rock. Each song is about three minutes long, so if you want to skip ahead, that would be pretty fucking lame, but go for it, I guess. But if you're a cool person, then sit back and enjoy the show. Okay, here we go.
So to start things off, I kind of wanted to just go over like what is our personal experience with the book Dune, with um, with Frank Herbert's masterpiece. Like, when did you guys discover it? Um, how do you feel about it today? Okay, it's a very recent thing for me. Dune Dune pops up everywhere. Like, if you're reading about the history of any sci-fi movie or TV show or book, right. like Dune always comes up. Whenever you ask people for new books to read, if you mention you're into sci-fi, there's always someone who will mention Dune. I was just saying before we recorded, it's either Dune or Hyperion. Those, and then the Foundation by yeah, Isaac Asimov. Right. Those are like the top three people. Yeah, have, you read, have you read Foundation? No, no. I want to, though. I'm on, the, I'm on the second book right now. I just started it. Cool. And, uh, I find Asimov can be a little dry sometimes, yeah, but cool ideas. That first Foundation book has a couple dry spots, yeah. for sure. I'm a big Philip K. Dick guy. That's like my that's my sci-fi. Like, right, yeah. I haven't read any Philip K. Dick, but I've got a couple books that I gave him in the queue. That Love it. Like Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, I read both of those. When I was like early twenties, mm -hmm. and I didn't, I was just like, I don't get it. I wasn't that into it. Yeah. And uh, and Dune, I had to come back to years later mm -hmm. and read it like in my late twenties, and then I was like, oh shit, now I get it. I haven't gone back to redo Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, but I should definitely try that because yeah, yeah. like because it definitely worked the second time around. The first time, you know, like I wouldn't call it dry, but it's like slow paced, dense. So, so when you're coming off Star Wars novels yeah. and you're going right into a Dune, it's just like, I don't yeah. know, it throws you for a loop. And, and yeah. so I had to come back to it years later. And You look at it, it looks really intimidating. It looks huge. And everyone always talks oh, totally. about how dense it is. Like a lot of people compare it to Lord of the Rings in terms of world building, right? Totally. Um, and Lord of the Rings took me many years to, to get through. Mm -hmm. So, But then when the pandemic started, I had a whole lot of free time. And so like as a goal, I was like, I'm going to read Dune. Like even if I hate it, I'm just... Just to say I did, because everyone talks about it, right? right? Yeah. And I borrowed a copy from a friend, and usually I read and uh, enjoy a little, uh, a little, uh, a little ganja while I read, typically. <laughs> but I couldn't do that. I would get like I would get so overwhelmed trying to read Dune while stoned because it's so dense. How old are you? And you just read Dune recently, right? Yeah, I'm 27, okay. and so I just I just read Dune for the first time, like like June the yeah. this past the 2020s. So, so I, I read Dune when I was 27 as well. Yeah, I've always known of Dune. I don't know when I first heard of it. But the first time I got interested in it was when the when I saw the Hodorowsky's Dune documentary. Do you guys know anything about I've it? I've heard about it. Concept art looks amazing. Now, I, I remember right. this. I remember you talking to me about the documentary before you had read the book. Yeah. yeah. Most people are like, this would have been awesome. This should have been it, what Dune was. And it's like, nah, man. No. Just... It's a crazy, zany ride, what they could have accomplished with it. But it's so divorced from like the Dune concept. And it's much more in the psychedelic realm. Nevertheless, like that's when I got interested in Dune. I was like, okay, this documentary is really cool to me i'm gonna read that book and see how it goes and i think i was i first read it when i was like 23 yeah i was definitely in the band i went and found like a resource online because i'm lucky enough to have that privilege now that kind of gave me a no spoilers just overview of like the world of dune just explaining like what the butler and jihad is mm. and where the freemen come from like all just all these like concepts like what the right you know just the world without the, telling the actual story and then with that equipped under my belt I dove into it, and then, I, I don't know, it just clicked, and then I read it in, like, two weeks. Because we, we, yeah. all, <laughs> we all came from the world of Star Wars. Like, we all, like, grew yeah, up right. in Star Wars. Good and, guys, bad guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and at this point in time, there have been how many Star Wars movies made by Disney, I think? Five or six? There has been five. We're also, like, I don't know, a little tired of Star Wars. Like, I'm appreciating. I'm glad that they're going to wait, like, three years, you know? 
so going into Dune, like we all decided, like yeah, we needed the next thing in our lives, and I think Dune is like often what, like, yeah, what the what the disillusioned Star Wars fan goes to, yeah. Well, and, and, and also, um, <laughs> there's a movie coming out by Denis Villeneuve, who's like one of my favorite directors working today. So yeah, I was, I'm, but I'm, I wanted to read the book before seeing the movie. Talk about the Lynch movie first, I guess, because like oh my God. just yeah. the previous adaptations, yeah. Well, okay, so you said Nathan, you hadn't seen this. There's been there was a science fiction miniseries made in the year 2000, yeah. and you have not seen that. I've not seen that. I watched way more movies than TV. It's yeah. well, it's a miniseries, so it's only like I think it's like six hours long. Yeah, something. it's yeah. just a six. It's they give Dune kind of a real good college try, cool. but they have like no budget. They have no budget. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, it looks like One, shit. Dune kind of it looked it, look, it looked bad for the time. Like I remember it came out when I was a kid, and I see like clips of it on the space channel and i'd be like this looks like shit like in the year 2000 right yeah but the lynch movie i feel like we, we all feel pretty differently about it oh my god i, I actually think it's kind of interesting and fun and i actually think it's pretty faithful to the book but uh, if it, you it, know it what's kinda, going on that's the thing yeah. yeah but but that's the problem is it needed to be way longer and so I, I love david lynch i think he's a great director things i appreciate about the movie are yeah i like it it's almost slavishly devoted to the book. They do like an accurate visual representation of the engineers, I think they're called. Like yeah. the ones who pilot the ships. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at that point, like when you read the first Dune, Frank Herbert hadn't quite fleshed out the fact that they're like weird fetusy things. I know. In the first book. Yeah, I think not... they pop up at the end, but he doesn't physically describe. Since I just read it again recently, yeah. I, I like paid close attention. Like, how much does he describe the mutated engineers of the the space freight yeah. or whatever? No, they're just people. And so, yeah. and then when you read Dune Messiah, he right. accurately like visually depicts an engineer. But I hadn't read the second book, so I was watching the scenes with this creepy ass. It, it looked cool, but I was like, what the. F fucking shit is going on. I really appreciated like the super surreal body horror David Lynch imagery and sure, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think the way it showed just how like disgusting the Harkonnens is is pretty cool. Yeah, the Harkonnens make um, a movie for me. They're just like wild. You know, it's yeah. hilarious how much they expanded Feda. Feda Ratha. because uh, he's like barely a character in the book no, I, in the know, movie. Yeah. I think a sting is playing him they're like he's the antagonist now so it's weird it's it's a it's a mess but like but they but they really did yeah. try you know like the biggest departure that it takes from the book honestly is at the end it turns out that like paul is basically a god whereas like, well, the yeah. book tries to do the opposite he's, and like, the, he's not a god and the yeah. weirding is like a gun or something but i'm the yeah. only person in the world with this opinion in the book there's like a fighting style called weirding that Herbert doesn't really describe what's it's going ben on. It's Ben Just Reed, I think. But for the movie, they didn't know how to depict this, so instead they changed weirding to a style of gun. Considering the time constraints they would have had... Totally. I was like, that's a clever way to get around yeah. the weirding whatever the fuck... And actually, and Patrick Stewart is Gertie Hallock is awesome. I think yeah, he's great. Free like, next generation too. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna buy him as a badass, but no, it's like I'm not a fan of David David yeah. Lynch movie. I can see, I can definitely appreciate the amount of effort, and like they definitely try, but like. Producers and studios, you can see their fingers meddling with, with the product. The producers, everyone involved knew that the movie was pretty dense and confusing. So when they released it in theaters, they made it mandatory for certain theaters to hand out pamphlets that would describe various things in the movie that the people were expected to read in the movie theater. So yep. they like you know could be helped which, along. Which if they had not nixed the Star Wars Expanded Universe and just rolled with it, they would have had to do that with the new Star Wars movies. Because, like, cause like, <laughs> well, three, yeah. like, three fucking galactic wars happened in the books. Exactly, like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right, like, yeah, yeah. 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 I'd be, it's funny too you say it's studio meddling, because, like, if I recall correctly, like, David Lynch has disowned the movie. Like, it's not, he doesn't Yeah, yeah, it. he's, yeah. he's like, Bartholomew Cubbins the whole thing. Yeah. So. Which is, What's which that? I think yeah. is a shame. It's like, come on, man. We want to talk about the Denny Villeneuve movie that's scheduled to come out on December 19th, which, right now, it's, it's September, so it's coming up 
for us here in this particular timeline. Right. So I don't know. Like we just watched the teaser trailer for it, and uh, I thought it looked pretty cool. I don't know. What did you guys think? Because of the fact that you and I have been talking about this movie for years now, the hype train for me is super high. And like you, I'm a big fan of Denis Villeneuve. Uh, Arrival, Sicario, yes. uh, Prisoners is also great. I think that's kind of an unrated gem. Fucking Blade Runner. Blade Runner, Blade Runner is awesome. Yeah. When I saw Denis Villeneuve, his name attached to the movie, I was like, I can't wait. And then once I saw the cast start rolling out, like Stellan yeah. Skarsgård as Baron Arconan. Yeah. Like every yeah. single move they've made is like the director, the cast, like, yeah, like all of it's like, okay, like the, the, the pieces are being lined up. It can't live up to the hype that we've given it. Yeah, I know. I I would go as far as to say Denis Villeneuve is like one of my favorite directors working today. Like Arrival right. is one of my favorite movies ever. Right. I remain skeptical though about how much of the book will work on screen because Dune is right. so much a novel. It is so much in inner dialogue. It is so much. Often you hear the the word um, unfilmable attached to certain things. Yes. Like, like Ender's Game was another one. Yeah. And I actually do think they kind of pulled it off a little bit with that. It's not a great movie, but like they actually kind of did get. Ender's the point. Game is one of the only movies I've ever fallen asleep in the theater watching because <laughs> like I, I had not read the book. And then I watched it, and then I fell asleep, and I woke up, and there was, like, these weird CGI ants and shit. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, it was the most bizarre But, but yeah, 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 but you're right. You, you're probably right about Dune because, yeah, it, like, I like what you said there. It's so much a novel. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, those things that are unfilmable, like Watchmen's another one, the comic, right? The, the works that are that are unfilmable, they lean so heavily into their medium, right? Like, Dune uses the medium of a novel in ways that you can't, like, with a movie, right? Yeah, right. Just like Watchmen does with comics, just like you know, Tarantino movies do with, like, film as a medium, right? Like, they just, like, when you when the artist is really attuned to the medium specifically and, like, the strengths of it over other mediums and the weaknesses of it versus other ones, I think it makes it that much harder to adapt it into right. other things. I'm not saying it can't be done, because I'm, and I hope it is, because, like, I mean, that teaser trailer looked great, and the cast is stacked as hell, yeah. so. I had a thought the other night where I was like, this movie will probably be way more boring than what it's hyped up to be, like in the advertising. Mm -hmm. Like it'll probably be much more talking. Uh, it has to be. It has to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think I can see a lot of people getting mad about that, where they like, I was sold on an action sci-fi movie. What if it's like? What if it totally goes in the other direction and it's like literally like it's Call of Duty. It, Paul, Paul, <laughs> no, yeah, Paul, Paul's like Neo, and it's like doing backflips over Harkonnens and all kinds of stupid shit. And we're like, yeah. no, that would that would be worse. I'd prefer it all talking. There's a small Denis Villeneuve at the bottom right corner just flipping you off. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happened. That happened, and that's why I think Denis Villeneuve is kind of perfect for this because that happened with Blade Runner where like Blade Runner came out 2049 of course exactly. and uh, I had a lot of friends who were like yeah it was boring there was a lot of talking and stuff and I was like did you watch Blade Runner like yeah. the original right it is it's so in the spirit it's slow it's slow burning yeah, it's, it's supposed to be that so the reason I love Denis Villeneuve is he constructs really amazing cinematic images and his sense of scale is great but he Absolutely. balances it with like really smart writing and dialogue and, and there's the there's the scene that sums him up for me is in the movie arrival the shot where you first see the alien pod ship and the music just like Bwah! yeah and like the sense of scale it's like yeah. epic like that was that movie is actually the reason i don't watch trailers because i had not seen a trailer or anything for arrival i just knew i was like oh it's like kind of an alien movie let's check it out and seeing images like that for the first time on a huge screen was like 
Holy shit! Because yeah. I, I I had no idea. Like, I didn't have just, any idea going. Yeah, into it. yeah, it was super cool. Good movie. I also like Blade Runner twenty forty nine a lot. So we're all excited for this film. I guess. Eh? That's that's the yes. general. Yes. We'll probably go see it. Yeah, most yeah. likely. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really yeah, but make like, a little uh, date. It'll be fun. I I'm I'm reserving some pessimism. I don't think there's enough pessimism in the community about it. Like honestly, it's like guys, we like we're really gonna let ourselves down. The hype is like everyone is just so excited. And it's like. I know, like, you can't blame us for being excited, but at the same time, like, well, it's, uh, like well, it's it, could, kind of a, it could be bad. It's kind right? of a no-win because, like, again, books and movies are so different, right? So he can either make a slavishly accurate movie that'll be boring as hell because it's going to be a lot of Paul narrating while, like, staring at the desert and shit, right? Yeah. Or he can do what I think he'll do, which is adapt it and change it to fit the form of, and make a great movie, but then diehard Dune fans will be pissed because of the way it diverged and the way right. it changes. A lot of my favorite parts of Dune are where they're just hanging out in the camp, like, talking about... Philosophy. Philosophy and shit, right? And, like, that would be boring as hell to watch. I'm one of those people that just, I get I get on hype trains mm-hmm. and I ride that train until the very end and, uh, I'm okay with it. It doesn't really spoil the movie or my experience with it. I'm always about leaks and stuff like that. And everything that I've seen just feels and looks like Dune. And it, even if it is something that's disappointing at the end, I still have the book. Like it's Exactly. Not, yeah, I'm, yeah. It's not going to take away anything from my experience. That's and a great attitude. The, the, yeah. the, the big fear that we all have, though, is this movie has to do well if for them to complete the story because it's been set up into two movies but I don't think they've actually greenlit production for the sequel I don't yet. think they did either and so that's I think they, spooky and Blade Runner 249 did not do well like no. financially critically killed it I'm optimistic about how many people are going to go see Dune because I do get the general feeling from the masses like the zeitgeist that the average kind of normal person is like down for something a little more than Star Wars. Like I, I get that, and I think that's apparent when you look at like how many really kind of high concept television shows are watched are being made. Right. right now. Yeah. I like I, the Expanse or or Altered Carbon. And then people who are super into Star Wars, right? You got Oscar Isaac in another space movie. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, I'll go check that out. And he's got a cool looking beard. So hell yeah. Uh, it's right? a great beard. I love yeah. the beard. I, I'll say this though, from the imagery we saw on the on the trailer, it looks very much like Denny Villeneuve, but maybe almost in a bad way. Like it, it's it's very so far it looks very flat. Like everything's just very monotone looking. And that could mm, I don't know. It's an adaptation. It's an artist representation of uh, of a source material. So like I'm down, but don't you? I'm down. When people complained about that, like that kind of style of cinematography for Man of Steel, everyone's like, "Oh, the movie looks so boring and dull the oh, whole time." I'm not familiar with that kind of criticism okay. for well, Man of Steel. Okay, well let's let's move on. Anyways, we got lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, I'm not gonna start talking about Man of Steel. So dated or ahead of its time. Now, when people talk about the ecology of Dune and the environmentalism, they always say that Dune is part, you know, political thriller, part action novel. And then some people say part uh, ecology. And I'm like, <clears throat> there's not a ton of it in there. Well, it doesn't really get that deep into, into the environment. I think it's more so the fact that it like it posits a logical endpoint for humanity where like everything, everything, everything in, in the universe is dictated by planetary resources and how we can exploit them. Right. right? We're already at that. We live in Alberta. We're already at that point, like with mm-hmm. our oil sands and stuff like that. Right. And it just takes it to a, like a logical extreme that I could see happening. At least in like, like for me, the, a lot of things that fall flat in Dune are like a lot of the imperialism and kind of caste systems and like the way it kind of like almost feels medieval at times in regards to like how people's societies are structured. Right. But the overall, like the way the universe runs and you know, I mean the spice must flow, right? Like it, like mm. if you just sub out spice for oil. The way that I see it though is the spice and 
the relationship of how the worms create the spice and how the in the environment of Dune kind of relates in itself to create this to create this resource. It's almost this kind of like Buddhist we are all one of the mm. same thing. Like it's yeah. it's this circular it's the circle of love. Exactly. Okay. It's this circular thing. So that's where I get like this pro environmentalism. For me I kind of miss it every time. I've read Dune twice now or like two and a half times and I always kind of like I know it, it comes up like it does for sure environmentalism, but it just never seems to be focused on, and it, like it doesn't feel like a sub. Did you read the appendices at the end? The actually, you know, I, I I've only ever like read bits and pieces of the appendices. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's the one that's kind, the stuff of Kynes is like yeah, yeah. about Pardo Kynes, uh, Liet Kynes' dad. Okay, and that's all about. It's funny because the the story that they follow with Pardo Kynes uh, is reminiscent to the story that Frank Herbert tells that inspired him to write Dune in the first place. He was yeah. he was he was talking about sand dunes in in somewhere in Africa. Uh, no, in Florence, Oregon. Oh. These dunes were coming in, like, basically swallowing these houses whole. Okay. And he was like, interesting. And, and, then, then, he's like, he and then he's like, hmm, galactic empire story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. I understand how it doesn't jump out. For me, like, it's just, it's because, like, the thrust of the story is Paul Atreides and, you know, the, the, the kind of hero myth that he kind of subverts, but is also, like, I mean, that we're getting into later books, I guess, with that. But, like, that's kind of the thrust of the story. The ecology for me is just the backdrop. It's just like a part of the world. Like it's never like, it's almost just like something that everyone's kind of internalized because it's just so a part of their life, right? Especially mm-hmm. when they're in the dunes and so much of the book is is them describing like trying to survive in this arid environment. That's why Dune is so cool is that it's not really like, oh, this is how great humanity is going to be in like 12,000 years. It's kind of like, this is kind of the worst case scenario if we keep going in the direction that we're going. But it's not a total dystopia. Either. It's not a total it's, dystopia. It's just, it's just uh it just is. I think that's why it works. Is it's not being preachy about it. It just mm. it's just a part of the world. Uh, yeah, yeah. And like like Will said, it it, it posits I think a logical endpoint. We're now like 60, 70 years past its writing, mm-hmm. and like to me, its themes resonate even more. I mean, especially as we encounter the extreme weather patterns, like, right? That, that we're currently like living in, right? And are going to be a part of our life going forward. There's but, a fantastic part. There's a fantastic interview that friend Frank Herbert did on some you know, talk show in the seventies or something like that. And he was talking about, uh, finite resources and like, and specifically about oil. Like you get to a point where like, you know, we're going to get to a point in like 70 years when, when he said it, where we're going to be out of oil. So where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. So like with the fact that he had those thoughts at the time that he was writing it and he, he had it, he, he had a know? progressive mind with regards to the matter anyways. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the part that I wanted to get out of the way first. Cause I find that the least interesting. <laughs> Can I tell a completely non-related Frank Herbert story? I just learned recently. Sure. sure. I guess familiar with the band suicide. So no. seven suicide was a cool, um, two piece like synth and drum machine post-punk band but before punk was even a thing from like 70s new york they played cbgbs a lot they've influenced like everyone from like ministry to nine inch nails to like they're they're insane they were hated in their time because they were playing punk shows and it was just two of them with synths and drum machines and yelling and and screaming and so no one knew how to book them sounds awful (laughs) and so they know they're amazing i love them and uh and no one knew how to book them so when they toured the uk they were opening for like elvis costello for which was hilarious because elvis costello loved them 
and his audience, everyone going to see Elvis Costello was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so in a desperate attempt to try and book them, they booked Suicide at a science fiction convention that Frank Herbert was also speaking at. So you could go see this like weird 70s post-punk band and then afterwards see Frank Herbert talk about like the ecology what, of the was, was Frank Herbert like rocking out front stage? Probably, I don't know. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine like opening up Frank Herbert's TED Talk? <clears throat> yeah, it's funny, yeah. Okay, so the next, the next angle is the thing I, I'm most interested in about Dune. Um, what really, really makes Dune stand out for me is the, uh, the angle of how the book approaches technology. Like the idea, the concept of the Butlerian Jihad and how mankind went to war with machines at some point in time and so computers are basically outlawed and people had to live and evolve without using computers and yet there's still a galactic civilization. That is just so mind-blowing to me. Like that very concept, and I, I love it. And I think that is one of the many ways it's so ahead of its time because so much sci-fi extrapolates that idea like star wars the idea of like you know backwards technology like farmers and stuff almost firefly analogs yeah because well that's and and that's the craziest thing is that this came out it was written way before star wars or any of this stuff and and sci-fi still does this thing where it's like yeah like in the future we're gonna have you know jetpacks like that makes sense right yeah um and way back in 60 whatever um here was frank herbert already thinking ahead of that he'd being like no maybe we won't use technology maybe we'll yeah like regress almost when i think i really i think the reason why because i just read this book recently and i've like recently been going through a bit of a slow existential crisis with regards to my relationship with technology and specifically social media but that's still technology that's right you're one and of I... those people now you're one of those people <laughs> you 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 logged off of facebook deleted your account <laughs> now we have to now we have to talk you over WhatsApp. what's WhatsApp, yeah. Um, but yeah, because it's savage. like... savage. It's like, it's like the more plugged in sometimes people get, the more you kind of want to go back. I kind of... I'm starting to understand that the older I get. It's not like I'm becoming a, you know, get off my lawn kind of dude, but no, it's just... No, I did a similar thing. I'm oh, sure you are. We all are, but... <laughs> but, like, but like, that's cool. Reading Dune now, when, if, when you think about the technology angle, it's like just what you said. It's almost more relevant now than it was back then. Because, like, yeah, the idea that these computers are, like, making our lives almost worse in some ways, driving us all crazy, you know, it creates this sense of, oh, it would be better to go back. Humans have a, uh, I read a quote recently, and I'm going to butcher this, but, like, humans are, like, prehistoric creatures that exist with medieval institutions and godlike power, like, with regards to our technology. Like, our brains are wired still for village living. Yeah, you know? yeah, but the technology has sped up so fast that exactly it is yeah. totally eclipsed. Like basically, right, you can tie it right around to like I'd say. Well, everyone says the industrial revolution. Yeah, but I like specifically with regards to like us, I'd say like the rise of the rise of like social media. I'd say is because that's the point when you're plugged in at all times. Right, like like, like that's the thing is when people say, oh, like you're like a luddite about the internet because I'm like you I, and I've been like I've been like you longer than this and yeah because I'm older than you and so, 78 yeah, you just yeah. turned 78 so, yeah, so, yeah. so I've been I've been on the, I've been on that soapbox for a while like I still I have a smartphone right here like I you know it's amazing but like I think people are still navigating their relationship with it I think it's similar to like smoking in the 60s where like not enough of time had passed and people hadn't seen the consequences yet because yeah. not enough time had passed of long-term usage of like smoking i think it's the same thing with like facebook or so the, the internet or... was awesome because we we are the only generation that got to experience the internet as only good point where it was like oh it was this place where shit was just free and you could share your music and it was this fun thing cheat codes for video games yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, like you could look up information and that's all it was it was just this cool utility 
but it didn't it wasn't like this like thing that encompassed our like our every waking moment <clears throat> so yeah so the butlerian jihad mankind <laughs> man, mankind fights against the, i mean like it's 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 less cerebral i'm pretty sure they literally go to war with like actual it machines is, yeah, yeah, and, and and then win somehow and then they ban technology and yeah like it's well, specifically they ban artificial intelligence yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of unclear as to exactly how they do some of these things. Like, how do you fly an ornithopter without, like, some sort of basic computer? But I guess there's, like, limits to how... Yeah. The whole point with, like, Herbert's kind of philosophy towards technology is not to let yourself become too reliant on it. So, like, in terms of, like, ornithopters and stuff like that, people are still in control yeah. of that. Yeah, there's no robots walking around. Yeah, there's no robots walking yeah. around. You're not sending drones to your house to drop off I, your Amazon order. I, like, I think a great like example of this is like I uh, I need my car needed to go into a shop recently, so my insurance company gave me like a, a loaner car, and it was like a 2020 uh, Toyota Camry or something. And driving it was bizarre to me because it had so many assist systems. Like it would mm-hmm. beep at me when I turned on blinkers. If there was anyone in the lane next to me, it had a rear view camera. It had like an auto park. It was bizarre and I hated it, but it was also like kind of terrifying because I was like, who, like anyone could drive. And it like, you don't need any skill to drive That's this machine. That's the thing, you know? right? Well, then, now yeah. I'm, I'm the only person in the city we live in Calgary, Alberta, where they've just infested the whole town with these fucking lime in- infernal lime, uh, lime scooters <laughs> where people don't even need to walk anywhere anymore and they don't need any training to go really fast in a bike lane. They just yeah, fuck, pick just up and her. go. How many and, times have you almost been clipped? Dude, I, yeah, I, I, know, I, have, I have it all planned out. I'm going to get hit by one while I'm skateboarding by the Bow River. And then I'm going to look at the person in the eye and I'm going to grab it out of their hand and I'm going to throw it in the Bow River. <laughs> and then I'm going to skateboard away. And just like that. That's that's my whole plan for when And then the butler in Dree hat. Commences that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, the, I'm, I, I'm the one who, uh, I'm the instigator of the butlerian jihad. I think it's a fascinating sci-fi concept. It's an it amazing really one. And, yeah. and the craziest thing is too is that you haven't really ever seen it in anything else before. The idea that mankind just doesn't use technology. You know, but it's way in the future, and there's an advanced galactic civilization. It's just great, you know. So, um, so I, I will, I will back this. I really do think that um, the technology of Dune and Frank Herbert's ideas about it mm-hmm. were way ahead of their time. Are the politics of Dune um, ahead of its time or dated? So obviously, Frank Herbert set this novel like way in the future. It's like the year ten thousand something something something. So like it's kind of hard to say are his politics ahead of his time because is he just kind of describing this world? Are they actually his politics that are coming through the book, or is this right. a, is this just the story he's telling? Well, it, I, the way that I'm kind of seeing the politics of Dune and the way that I thought of it, it's almost like democracy gets to a point where it just doesn't work for the amount of people and the amount of like different corporations and po- power structures that are around at the time like different families are incredibly powerful and then you have the chome uh company and then uh, the spacing guild which have huge monopolies so i guess corporation there's not much room for democracy so it it almost regresses to a feudal society. Yeah, Does yeah, no, and maybe it's all because of the Spacing Guild. There's only there's one faction of Dune that controls all space travel in the universe because they're the only ones that can do it. And I guess that sort of thing, the, the universe is set up so that everyone is isolated unless they heal to this uh, particular organization. Right. Um, would that create a feudal society, you know? Yeah, well, like... I'm not sure why, that, why it would, but... Well, we have so many people spread so far apart they had to resort to a feudal society. In it was the only way to manage the complexity of such a large amount that's, of planets. That's what I'm kind of. I mean, like that. At. That could make sense for sure. Um, yeah, it isn't clear why. Like Frank Herbert doesn't go into detail as to why you know society got this way. Right. 
Um, so it's kind of hard to say if it's ahead of its time or not. That's the thing. It's like like most sci-fi, it's a version of what could happen, right? Like it's it's uh, it's it's not like definitive or anything. It's just kind of an extrapolation, and uh, I think it's really reflective of how cyclical human history is when you really like take the kind of broad view with it and like the way mm-hmm. things rise and fall. And it's weird too. It's it's weird when you read it because it feels like you're reading like an alien civilization, but it's humanity. But they're right. you know what three thousand years <clears throat> past where we would be. Right. I remember reading line, it right? for the first time, and I'm like, there's swords and stuff in this. It's like you're you're. Like, so right now we live in the year 2020, like democracy more or less is the, 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 you know, the political system system that has won the In the Western world. In the Western world. So do you really think that from here we could regress into a feudal society? Like that's, that's an interesting point that Herbert makes. I I could see it. (laughs) I don't want to get too political, but I mean like the, the rise of authoritarianism here in North America like right. it definitely like like that is kind of a direct proceeding to just taking power and having unilateral control over things right, right. and then how far is that and then you know when you have people who have pomp and circumstance why not have some swords why not have armor why not have like I don't I don't know and I'm not saying it's like this will happen it's a version of what could happen based on a dude who you know by 10,000 years in, in the future from now it'll probably ebb and flow like democratic societies will win and then there'll be like another thousand years where you know, authoritarianism wins yeah. again. Right. And, and actually, like, one of the things, one of my, like, problems with Dune, because it's flawed, it's not, it's not like a perfect book, is it does paint with, like, a broad brush, I feel, like, with humanity, because we, we right. keep to, like, we're just painting with a broad brush because we're talking through the lens of Dune, but, you know, the reality is so much different in, like, China, you know, or, or the right. Middle East, or whatever. Like, the Earth on its own, as one planet, is so diverse, especially in all our experiences and the way these political systems rise you'd have an eight book series just just trying to really dig into well, the different like of each planet one, one of the biggest one right? of my biggest problems with dune and the whole politics thing is that you just don't he never really spends any time ever in any of the books that i've read anyways i've read the first four um and it, it never really gets down to what the common man thinks about any of this mm-hmm. he never right. it's always it's all aristocracy it's all the aristocracy yeah. absolutely yeah. And, and that and, and i always wonder i'm like what's going on in like you know like a regular what, town what's right jimmy now? doing over there <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. jimmy the which, fremen which is kind of why i like later science fiction how it's picked up some of these themes and then kind of applies more human elements of like rebellion or like mm-hmm. what if i didn't agree with this because that, that's again that's like kind of my biggest problem with doing is that everyone's kind of okay with the system and they're working within it, right? You don't really have, like, you know, the resistance... Well, I guess you do have resistance groups. Well, and then you have... There, you, well, like, you do eventually get, you know, the or the uh, the jihad that yes. is the ultimate resistance. Okay, yes. but within this, within this kind of uh, bracket, I also want to talk about... Uh, is it dated or is it ahead of its time the way that Frank Herbert portrays women? I mean, like, okay, we're three dudes that we're three dudes. So, like, I mean, like, <laughs> three white dudes. Like, yeah, yeah, we're three white dudes. So, so like, take it with a grain of salt. With a podcast. So, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so, 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 so we're gonna try our best to talk about this, but I feel like we can't ignore ignore, ignore this section because women play such a huge role in the book with the Benny Jesuit, which mm-hmm. is like the ultimate badass, like super witch Jedi ninjas. The ideas presented here are of the time. Like, I, I don't think they're ahead of the time. There's this anxiety about women in this book that, like, the Benny Jesuit aren't necessarily good guys. They're cool, but they're not good. But nobody's good in this thing. Yeah, yeah nobody's good. <laughs> I, I think for me... Not, what, not like, even Paul. What really works from the female perspective is how, is how much perspective Jessica's given. Right. As a character. And like, She's arguably my favorite character. So, yeah. so uh, Lady Jessica, like, and this is going to give me, favorite. this is going to give me a lot of points with you folks down in Vancouver, but she's probably <laughs> my favorite character in, in the book. I do really like uh, Lady Jessica and I love 
like exploring the entire world with the Bene Gesserit through her. I think she's such a great character. I, the Bene Gesserit's my favorite part of Dune. And she has an agency, and it's an interesting journey because like a lot of it is is steeped in really, really, really outdated approaches to like marriage and relationships, and you know, there's a whole plot line where well, she's a concubine, right? You know, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, as the book progresses and as her journey progresses, I find her journey even more like far more interesting than Paul's personally because it's just like she she's so thrown for a loop and she's not like a chosen one she's not a like messiah or anything kind of kind of i guess you know do enough drugs and you are but like (laughs) yeah we're all messiahs (laughs) so this this is this is the last line of the book while we chani we who carry the name of concubine history will call us wives that's the last line of the book, right? And so it's like making a point, like about like you know, like the last line of the book is said by by um, you know the main female character, and it's like a point about women in in a way, right? Like it feels like they're kind of admitting that they're they're in service to an, another. Thing. Honestly, I've never really fully understood what this line is trying to say. Honestly, <laughs> um, I find it an interesting line, but I think it's yeah. it's saying a lot. Maybe, maybe I'm grasping at straws. I'm yeah, totally yeah. Mis- misunderstanding yeah. it, but that's. How I history can. will call them wives, even even though that they were, even though they were concubines. History will call them wives. Like, what is the significance of that kind of sense? Well, 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 but, yeah, well, okay, well history. And, so, will... and some context, like that line, comes on the heels of Paul essentially like politically maneuvering a politically advantageous marriage, which is a thing that happened a lot in like feudal societies. Right. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not necessarily someone you love. It's something that will strengthen your family because that's that's the way the cookie crumbles in this world. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's really reflective of of how simultaneously advanced and also regressive the society is right the, but the, and the, but the thing is that at the end of the day the Benny Gesserit are are in complete control of the universe like they are the ones that are really pulling the strings that's what I wanted to segue into which is yeah. the breeding program yeah which is um, the Benny Gesserit are completely in control of almost completely in control of who is being born and what DNA they're using. But they use, but they control with their like womenly wiles, right? Like they use like their sexuality, the fact that they can basically train, right. train essentially like escorts for like political figures. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, but on the flip side, they're also the most physically capable of everybody in the book. Cause they like have super ninja powers. The weirding way. Yeah. 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 Which is all over Firefly. Has, has, <laughs> has, has anybody had a, we all have like significant others have, like, or do you know any girls that have read Dune? Like, well, actually, um, my friend Megan, who drums in Calgary band Harsh mm-hmm. lent me the copy of Dune that I started reading. And then I got a hundred pages in and I was like, I want to own this. So I bought my own, but right. she, and she had read it many times and loved it so like Love to hear her thoughts what, what, yeah what would what would it, like do girls think that the way that he writes women frank herbert <clears throat> like does he do a good job you know like i don't know because we can't really <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't know yeah. i would um but like you know I've, I've, you know yeah. Ma- megan is uh, a close friend of mine and like intensely feminist and she really recommended the book to me so i don't want to speak for her like maybe she, she she's obviously not disgusted by the portrayal of okay. yeah i think it's just it's kind of like it's just the way it is. Like, this is just, this is a society that's, like, really ugly at times and really beautiful at times. And, you know, something I really wanted to touch on, like, regarding ge- uh, the gender politics, actually, is Paul. Because there's a lot in the book said about how um, the Duke wanted a daughter, but he got a son instead. 
right? Am mm-hmm. I getting that right? Yep. Yeah. No, 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 and, no, no, no. Or was it the, the Benny Jesuit? The Benny Jesuit wanted her to give birth, Lady Jessica to give birth to daughters, but Jessica was so in love with Duke, the Duke gave him a son. And, and yeah, Lita was yeah, like, right, I want a boy. Right, right. And, and she's like, all right, I'll make that happen. Sometime. So what's interesting about Paul is that he has such a close relationship with his mother, and people kind of regard it as borderline, like, abominable, like, because she trains him a little bit in Benny Jesuit ways, and he's mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really reflects in the way he's written, though, because he it, because he has a more effeminate perspective in his upbringing. Well, right? that that yeah. even goes yeah. into the the Quetzalcoatlus Hadarach sort of. While the Benny Jesuit can only access memories of their female side, the Quetzalcoatlus Hadarach the whole they can access memories of both. So there's this concept that the Bene Gesserit, they have access to the memories of all their ancestors, but only the female. If they were to try to look into their male side, they get met with this like insane fear that none of them can resist and they can never look any further. But Paul, being the first male Bene Gesserit, is able to look at both the male and female side without this fear stopping him, essentially. And I like this, this that's like Lovecraftian in a way, but like... Is that, you know, is that like regressive politics? I don't know. <laughs> I think it, to, to me, it almost, I think of it as positive in the sense that like you get both perspectives. Like once you gather more perspectives of every side. But basically, basically get, he's saying more... women, this female side of the species cannot, um, cannot access this particular power only a man can right that okay um, uh, um like i'm not i don't really i don't read it as like he's like being patriarchal or whatever about that but like could it be interpreted that way i don't know yeah it, it could be and that's i think this all just kind of leans in more to the fact that this is just more of like the thoughts that are of the time uh, it's just it's food for thought it's good it's it's good to, it, it i think it's uh I, I i had actually completely forgot about that aspect of like paul's journey mm-hmm. um and also, I don't know why, but it flew over my head. I didn't, I didn't know that every Bene Gesserit could access the memories of all their ancestors. I thought that was mm-hmm. a thing that only, like, high mothers or high priestesses... No, oh, no, 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 no. You're right, you're right. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, that's right. I, I did mess up there. I thought yeah. it was all... No, it's only the Reverend Mothers that have taken... I think they have to take the Water of Life to be able to... Oh. to, be able to yeah. Yeah. God damn this book! Yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> brain is melting. Yeah. That's why I could not read it while the, high. The, the difference that <laughs> Paul the, had. The Quiznos Haddock yeah. is. Uh... Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, but Paul was the only male that could drink the water of life and not die from it through the power of his dick. Uh, so my least favorite part about Dune is I know, and some people say this is why Dune is the best book ever is the surrealism. Mm. Like when it comes to Neil Gaiman, like I hate dream sequences in okay. every book. Then ever. don't read Sandman. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole that is, it's, it's a dream sequence. No, no, but, but think about it. Think about it. Dream sequence. Here, I'm going to do it right now. So Shadow woke up in a field of rabbits, and out from the sky came a bleeding crow, and it said. Halt! The night comes down, and shadow melted oh, yeah. into a pile well, of yeah, needles. Like it's just there's like a, there's an adage that like there's nothing more boring than someone else describing their dreams to you. Yeah, right? like you always see this on social media. People are like I had the weirdest dream yesterday, and they describe it, and you're like that. Was a waste of my time. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, I totally. I think it's a one or the other. Just, Sam, Sam is not like that. I'm not gonna get into it. Okay, it's but it just, it just feels like it just feels like it's like just excuses for writers to just jack off. And so Dune does this sometimes. I think Dune towards the later half for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in the uh, in my other podcast that I do, uh, chapter by chapter, people, if you can go give us five stars, that book that we did also has a bunch of dream sequences. And every time we covered the chapter with a dream sequence, I'm like, I don't know what's really happening here. I, I that's my biggest criticism, honestly, and in all of the other books too. 
because there's tons of this shit in Dune. I'm always like, ah, oh, another fucking. Did you ever trip. crack the code of like the Water of Life sequence? Because I have yet to reread that sequence because I just like my brain. It, just it, it, it. It, it does make a lot more sense the second time around. Right. It does. Yeah. The first time around, I was like, what the fuck, Frank Herbert? Like, what, what's <laughs> happening? But then the second time, definitely, that... it definitely reads like a profound mushroom trip. Yeah. Me. Right. Like yeah, to the point where I'm like. Herbert definitely fucked around with some, some Absolutely psychedelics. Yeah. Absolutely. The guy was fucking totally cool. I mean, it's the 60s, right? It's <laughs> yeah. probably like, you know, grooving to, to White Album and, and, and dropping acid, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. I would be. Like, hell yeah. Yeah. So, I think, I, think, I think that aspect of Dune is love it or hate it. And I think you're justified either way. Like, I think it's, I've never met anyone who is like middle ground with it. Yeah. Some, some people are just like, that's what ups it, man. That's what really like. <laughs> I, I, I like the ideas and the end results of everything that it's, it's, it's bringing forward. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of the execution of just like drug trips and just like get to the point. Like I get it. Like, okay, he absorbed the water of life and now he's fucking super smart. Or yeah, whatever. it's very flowery. <laughs> yeah. It's like where it gets the most prose-y because like the writing yeah. is very much like a lot of sci-fi. Like, the writing is very functional and very like to the point. Like there's not a lot of like huge descriptions of things. Yeah, there's not a lot of fat. Yeah, the but then yeah, then you get to these the, the water life segments, and it's 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 it reads like a Smith song, you know, like the lyrics. <laughs> like, <it's> just... <laughs> you start crying while you're yeah, it's like holy shit, man. And, one, uh, one thing one thing that's really great is um, and a lot of fun is always the little like blurbs of philosophy blurbs of philosophy that you get before every chapter. I love that. Um, that 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 kind of thing is always like that's like it's almost like a cheat move these days. A lot of books will do that. I love to see, that to see more important than they are, you know. But but it, it works really well. In those here. those passages work even better on a second read because a lot of it's referring to stuff that's going to happen in yeah the, in, it gives in it an epic feel like a lot it's like you're reading like a history of something that happened yeah that's know? what he's kind of it's, going for i love it cool. there, there's one in god emperor of dune that i liked so much i like literally took a picture of it for like, reference i'm yeah. like a quarter of the way through children of dune which is the third book right now around the table here um what has everybody read about dune like how many of the books have you read so i've read dune and dune messiah i read those both within about a month between the two and then I got a third of the way, I jumped right into Dune, uh, Children of Dune, and I got a quarter of the way into it, and I felt like my brain was melting, because I had just read nothing but Dune for a month and a so half. so many words in your head. Yeah, and then about, like, I mean, my own mental health was also kind of crumbling, because the, the world is fucked right now, so I put it away. I'm going to read it. I, I own the six um, Frank Herbert books, and I've been told by many people to not touch the Brian Herbert books, so I'm just like, no. There, there'll be people that argue with you. I've never read yeah. any of them, but... But yeah, okay, so what about you, Will? I've read the first four. I think the first four has a good arc to them. That, like, if you want to jump off after it, that's a, that's a good point. But I'm I'm probably going to spend some time with the other two in the Frank Herbert, and I might pick a couple out of the Brian Herbert just to see how it goes. <laughs> if it's part, bad, then it's bad. I'm part of the reason it. I don't want to read the Brian Herbert is because Kevin J. Anderson co-wrote them with him, and he wrote some of my least favorite Star Wars books. <laughs> which he, ones? Like uh, Jedi <laughs> Academy and shit like that, okay. and, uh, which are just, it has, it, they're just bad. Like, I just think they're really, really? and they're really poorly written. But I, I just read... Um, and, it, and, I, within I, the, and the bar for Star Wars books is not high. No! <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so, so I, I read Darth Bane. Everyone's like, dude, Darth Bane, no, that's, that, that one's like the good one to go to, and I was like, this is a, this is a young adult if you're, novel if, yeah if you're 13 and you're super into like Slipknot yeah Bane is fucking yeah. sick yeah <laughs> totally but, yeah. 10 years I know late. yeah you could totally picture it if it was like a movie like every time he gets into a lightsaber fight the music's like I've become so yeah that's why when I was saying earlier like it was I had to read I had to get into Dune twice because the first time I just come off of reading a bunch of Star Wars novels and and I guess I mean the Slipknot album had an end yeah and I mean around the table here I think we're all on the same page about how we feel about um, the expanded universe of Star Wars. 
We we don't really we don't like we've checked it out, but we don't care for it. I know much. nothing about it. Oh, like, you know, I have two boxes full of books of them. But I okay, I like they have they have a special place in my heart, but I'm glad they don't exist like, oh, okay. canonically anymore. Like they, yeah. I read a lot of them because they're easy to read. They got me into reading essentially. Like now I read you know real books. But when I was a teenager, it was like oh Star Wars, cool. And uh, but here's the question: Why isn't there a real Star Wars book? Like why hasn't like there, a... there's a few? I would argue that like of the there's like over a hundred books, and I would say there's about like five of them that are like good books on their own. Like they like I'd recommend them to anyone and then the rest of them kind of hover in like fan servicey like if you're just looking for dumb cheesy star wars shit they're fun and then that's like 30 percent to 40 percent of them and the rest of it's just dog shit Hot just garbage. like just like fanfic like really yeah. bad like really really bad and that's the kevin j anderson stuff and so him writing dune i'm like eh, eh, i don't know <laughs> yeah well i've so. never i don't think i would ever check them out i think that i i think that i am good with i finished at God Emperor of Dune, and mm. and that is a really good place to finish. Because he want. passed away before finishing what he wanted to do, right? He did, yeah. yeah Which is did. actually what's kind of interesting about reading Chapter House Dune and uh, Heretics of Dune. The the other two is because I guess like that's where you really notice is an unfinished story. Um, he's building to something in yeah. those two, from what I know. I haven't read them, but he's yeah. building to something that just didn't pay off. And then Brian took over for like. Uh, the seventh book. I think there's a seventh and eighth book in that means. He's written a lot of them. There's also like a whole prequel series. There's a whole prequel series. Just about the Duke. From what I read, it just lands like a wet fart. Like it just... <laughs> it sounds kind of hard to believe you. Like it seems like since you got such a good setup, like it would be... I don't know. You can get really creative. Well, I mean like if you just don't have the same knack, then you just And don't. brain. And, and drugs. Brain. And drugs. And the White Album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Like... Well, from what I've heard is, like, Brian Herbert isn't much of a writer, which is why he got someone who... Because Kevin J. Anderson's kind of a hired gun, like, sci-fi dude who just kind right. of, you know, pumps out, you what, know. What, like, Alan Dean Foster? Yeah, very... Or, uh, like, Ari Salvador kind of, you know, yeah. just, like, just pumps him out. Like, he can get shit done real quick. Or that Zan you know? guy that also does a bunch no, of stuff. No, no, Timothy Zahn is, like, a legit author. He writes really? good. He writes actually, yeah. like, the three know. of those five good Star Wars books I just t- talked about are yeah. Timothy Zahn books. Yeah, I'd st- yeah, I would still disagree. <laughs> okay. I- I don't, like, I, don't, I'm, I don't like Timothy Zahn. I've read two of his books now, and I think it's enough for me to be like, no, nah, man, I'm not into his writing style. I don't think he writes Star Wars very well, honestly. Mm. Um, he writes it more like hard sci-fi. Yeah, and, and I'm like... like Star Wars I, is space fantasy. Right? Yeah, and, so, I'm, and, and yeah. Just, I want to feel like I'm watching a Star Wars movie if I'm reading a book. He kind of so. ruins people's perception. Oh my god, I shouldn't get into this. We're talking about Dune. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Next episode. I'll talk about this when we're not recording. There's, there's only a couple more points. Um, I guess, like... The, the the characters in Dune, like, okay, like, what's everybody's top three favorite characters? Jessica, number one, Paul, two, and probably Harkonnen, uh, Baron Harkonnen, number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica, um, I found Stilgar very interesting. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he's kind of your window into how Freeman work. I really love the passages with Baron Harkonnen because he's such an evil piece of shit. Yeah, so I'd say those are my top three. Paul is, like, I like what happens around him more than his actual personality. He's kind of a... Gotcha. He's kind of a super solemn, you know... Timothy Chalamet is good casting, because he's a very sad-looking teenager. Oh, I, I, I got a weird one. Okay, so I, um, so for me, number one is Baron Harkonnen. I just, cool. I just think he's I just think he's awesome. He's so, so evil. It's just like... The, he, the image of him with, like, the fat, with the repulsor lifts. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, it's yeah. great. I, I have the best image in my mind of what he would look like. And, okay, so Baron Harkonnen, Lady Jessica would be my second favorite i know i said she was my favorite but then 
I remember, no, the Baron is definitely my favorite part of the book. Okay, so, and then I actually think that for my third favorite, I'm going to pick, I can't even say her name right, but Princess Irulan. Irulan. Oh. Irulan. And, and, and I know that's really weird, but I always find her so interesting in that we just don't know much about her, but she's narrowing, she's, she's narrating the book the whole way through. She's like a victim of the entire book, like the entire series it, almost. Yeah, it's, so, you it, know? It, her character is just really mysterious and interesting to me. And so I'm just going by like when, when the characters in the book or when they're talking or anything, when am I the most invested in what I'm reading? And that it seemed to be those three characters. Cool. Um, and I also really like the Duke Leto. He'd have been like my second place for that. He's but, very noble. So I wanted mm -hmm. to talk about the character archetypes um, and how they are portrayed. Like, are these are these dated? And I think I do think that some of them are. Like, some of them are very, you like like Duke Leto. Like, he's basically Qui Gon Jinn, right? Like, it's not really that interesting of a character. He's pretty cool, but he's like you know, there's not a ton there that like Herbert gives us. I think he's like intentionally. Like, everyone's shades of gray, and he's very black and white. Like, he's very good. That feels very specific, because then his death feels so tragic. I but, think that the Qui-Gon Jinn reference is actually pretty apt. <clears throat> yeah, so, that's do, good. Do, do you think that Paul's character of being the, like, hero's journey, quote-unquote, do you think that is dated or ahead of its time? And I think, I think it's actually, it sounds dated, because, like, we have so many hero's journeys... But I think that it does it so uniquely different that it's actually way ahead of its it's time. It's so subverted. That well, it's, yeah. It, it is mentioned that by the end of the series that, like, this hero's journey is not necessarily good for, like, the current people that are around. So Paul, Paul basically is portrayed as this, this person that's going to save the universe. The Quiznos Haddock. Yeah. yeah. They, basically, and he's going to, he's supposed to be, like, basically, essentially a chosen one, kind of. Um, but to bring about, like, universal peace first has to come this terrible thing called the Jihad, which is going to kill 40 billion people or something like that. Right. Basically the worst thing that could ever happen, ever. It's very um, it's very Alexander the Great, it feels like. And, and so I think that it's way ahead of its time in that he's like, yes, you have the quote-unquote chosen one character, and he gets really good, and he wins all the battles and all this stuff, but at the end of the day, he's not really a hero. He's almost like one of the worst people in the galaxy. And he knows it. And, yeah, he knows and he knows it. it. Yeah. That's the tragedy yeah. of it. Right? Yeah, it's almost it's almost Shakespearean. Like yeah. he, like he know like he sees this and he tries everything to avoid it, and then he realizes at the end that it's, this is just ha this is the way it has to be. Like, yeah, I find that this gets way deeper, especially in the second book, where mm -hmm. Paul basically just completely turns his back on all of it. He's just yeah. like he's just like I can't go through with this. I, like the character of Paul, I find not very interesting. He's whenever he's the main character in the book, I'm I'm still I'm still into it, but I'm not as interested. But his overall story is really really cool. I think I always I always have fun with characters that are on the hero's journey, like uh, like Luke Skywalker or or Neo or anything like that. I'm always more I'm always drawn to those characters. But more the more most. more importantly, who would win in a fight, Luke Skywalker or Paul Atreides? Paul, because like Luke Skywalker is not contrary to what all those books I just mentioned would have you say, Luke Skywalker is not Goku. Like he's not a super powerful Jedi. His strength is the fact that he like loves and is empathetic, you know, cuz like he's a kid who's barely trained who fights like a cripple in a in a in a like robot suit he doesn't pull off incredible feats of like combat yeah and paul does paul's like hmm far more like you know, op yeah. so, so they're so, in so, like a fist so fight return of the jedi luke full-on jedi <laughs> versus paul atreides at the end of dune <laughs> yeah, no, but like even then like in return of the jedi like he he does a pretty cool backflip yeah but like he he's had what two years of training or no two, like six months of training from like an old frog and a ghost right. and then just time on his own to like figure it out and then he wins against his crippled dad who loves him and is already kind of hesitant and torn about fighting him 
and then the actual Sith Lord just almost kills him, like without even thinking about it. You know that's what I mean? That's true. Like, yeah. Sidious could, 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 just doesn't even think about it. Do you it. think Sidious Lord, just... Lord Sidious could kill Paul Atreides? Nah, that's interesting. <laughs> See, that's now a, we're that's, talking. That's a podcast right there. <laughs> now, yeah. like, that's the question. That's is... part of why, and that's part of why it drives me insane when people like get mad that Luke didn't like. This is not a Last Jedi podcast, I swear. Right? I know. Yeah, people yeah. got mad that Luke didn't like pick up walkers or have lightsabers spinning around him, because like, he wasn't. That's not him. He's not like if you watch the movies, he's not. There's some great guys some, on YouTube. You know, that, he's like, not Rambo. You know, like he's. I, I, that's why he's interesting to me. No, but, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yeah, like um, Luke is um, a much more interesting character thanks to the Last Jedi. There, you can unsubscribe. You <laughs> <laughs> feel like it. We we all like the choices that they made in the Last Jedi regarding Luke, right? Like even you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we can get into it. That there's no, no. Hours we'll, to talk we'll, we'll talk about it. That's another. Yeah, but no. uh, before before we just hop into the next thing, I like the comparison that you made between Paul Atreides and the Emperor. That would be kind of a cool like book series to kind of see the Emperor follow a similar path of Paul Atreides. Like mm-hmm. I am doing this. It is evil, but this is how I'm going to save mm-hmm. the universe. Yeah. Do you think Lord Sidious is on the same journey as Paul Atreides, and he really is saving the universe? Yeah. There was, himself. There was this fan theory like when the legends were a thing because there's this whole like galactic invasion by this crazy alien force called the Yuuzhan Vong right. that are like. They're beyond the force, and they have like organic, like that's crazy. It devastates I, I, people. They, they don't, they, they, they don't, the force doesn't affect them. That's exactly, the, that's yeah. Thing, and yeah. so, like the fan theory was that Palpatine knew they were coming and was just doing all the horrible shit he was doing to mobilize and unify the universe to be able to combat this when they arrive. And then the rebellion Whoa, fucks that up. Yo, that that's a really, 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 really cool. It's interesting, right? Uh, theme. I, that should have been the prequels. Right yeah, there. yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> that's, but that's really cool. So, I yeah. didn't know about that. This is why the books are they're interesting. Um, we're going to play another band local to Calgary here, and since this is our first... Band B, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> give, give it up for Band B. Yeah, we, we haven't decided who they're going to be yet. I'll put it in the credits, though. Um, yeah, here we go. Take it away, band. Fuck you! So, I just want to talk about Baron Harkonnen, because <clears throat> he's my favorite character. Oh, he's so good. And, he's and so fucking evil. He's so evil. Oh. Now, do you think that... I've heard it criticized about Dune that Harkonnen is portrayed as just 
too much of like a, you know like an Emperor Palpatine just too much of a black and white just evil guy right and like it's like the book is like it, it doesn't it fails in developing like a complex villain I will say um, here is something that is very of its time and kind of gross about Dune is uh, they kind of imply that part of Harkonnen's like fucked upness is the fact that he's like gay and likes like people of the same sex and it's not a huge part of the book but it's very common to like 60s fiction in general where like homosexuality is kind of it's part of a degenerate like there'll be other degenerate things they do but that's always included in there ah, as being like ooh right. look how fucked up they are I mean I, I I never got past the child molesting part to be like oh it's also little boys I was like he's a child molester so. yeah that's the that's how I kind of <laughs> took I kinda it just well, yeah. there, but I, I see what you mean yeah, yeah that's totally. interesting part of the reason why Dune survived and why people still talk about it is because it's like it, it's not I don't think it's overtly homophobic in that way because that's more the forefront is the fact that it's a child yeah. but it's always a male like it's always and he's super hyper fixated on the male form even and, when he's looking at like Fade Fade, fade, right? fade yeah. beautiful within, boy within the context of like the way 60s fiction uses those kind of archetypes as like shorthand like people will just have shorthand um you know 90s Disney movies if you look yeah. at their villains they're always kind of queer coded like in the way they talk and speak like there was kind of or like right. Frieza, Freight Freeze from Dragon yeah. Ball. That goes <laughs> that goes all the way back. Like like Interesting. it's only just in the last, you know, ten years that's really kind of started to be more deconstructed, right? <clears throat> now, but but you know. now when it comes to like Baron Harkonnen and whether or not he's like too black or white, um, I think that he's so it, it he is so black and white, but that's like the point. He's like he knows he's evil and he like he realizes that being evil is like the way to be. He's like, This is this is like I embrace it, gluttony and, and just like and just like total, you know, um, despicableness because it makes people fear me and it makes me win at the end of the day. Yeah, and with a book that's so dense and so complex, it it works in its favor when you have a villain that you can just go, I hate this guy, and I'm having fun reading this like just prick, just being asshole. But like, do you think it would have been better if they had like. I don't know, made him like do a nice thing at some point in the book. Just like he him... saves a puppy from a car crash. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. Like oh the... no! <laughs> I love puppies. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you, do you think that? Do you think that uh, it would have benefited from making him more complex or not? <sighs> I don't know. Probably not because I'm having so much fun reading him as just so evil. Like we, like we've been talking about. It's interesting in in the first half of the book, he's portrayed as this, as this almost like Lovecraftian. I like that word a lot. I've, I know I've used it a few times. <laughs> yeah, like, drinking a beer. He's like, this is very Lovecraftian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but like he's like he's like this really evil thing that's like kind of like unstoppable and like unmovable. And then you get to the second half of the book, and that's where he's you know having to talk to other politicians that he's like you know inferior to, and he almost turns into like a buffoon, especially by the end when he right. has to confront the emperor. He's totally different guy he's like oh shit oh the emperor oh. yeah 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 like it's it's cool they kind of give him a turn they, they start giving him weaknesses at the second half of the book how do you want them to portray him in the movie how do you, how do you do you have like an image in your mind of baron harkonnen who's playing him Stellan Skarsgård. So, so good. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I just realized that you're the no trailer guy. I'm the no trailer guy. Wow. I just broke that. Well, it's a teaser. I'm not going to watch the full trailer. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm cause... sorry. I didn't know that. It's all good. No, but like that, it was like a minute and a half, like whatever. All and, right, and, right. and it's all images that I've seen. Like I've seen like the Vanity Fair. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, It doesn't, so, doesn't yeah. show anything. It is yeah. a lot of what we've seen before. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my only stipulation is please don't make him fly. Don't, don't make him fly. Don't please. make him fly. Because it's mentioned in the book, like, he doesn't fly. His fat, his weight he's, is carried by the suspensor, so he's only walking, he's walking, but he's only carrying like 50 pounds He's so weight. insanely obese that he needs repulsors to hold it up while yeah. he walks. That image in my mind is just so insane. I just like, I, I have like the craziest, like, 
like yeah, like Lynchian sort of just super super intense growth. Yeah, I know right. that Lynch already. And this is a, it, but... this is another thing. I don't necessarily agree with this, but like a lot of people like mentioned like through the modern lens that like a lot of the way they describe him is borderline like fat phobic, which is a term that I'm not even like fully sold on in general myself. But like because mm. it's just it's like Frank Herbert goes out of his way to make Baron Harkonnen just like you're saying as one dimensional evil as possible, mm-hmm. and so within his view of one dimensional evil as possible, he's like so gluttonous that it's like almost gross to read about how overweight he is yeah right and uh he's yeah he's on like little boys but specifically boys it's interesting it's like i don't think it's as overt a part of the story mm-hmm. that's interesting i mean it's, yeah. it's kind of a your mileage varies right for yeah. me it doesn't super bother me nowhere in the book is is you know paul atreides calling him like a like a fat fuck or something or you know like <laughs> whoa this book guy took a left turn <laughs> can you imagine like <laughs> Harkonnen, you fat fuck. Yeah, and like, yeah, and like, and you know, no one's like using any like slurs against him or anything, right? But like, I don't think it, him being like one dimensionally evil is bad because those kind of super amoral people exist, right? Like they, like, like they exist. They run corporations. But I see, they, I see what you're saying. You're like theoretically. Um, and probably if uh, there are people out there that would be like very overweight and they would read this book and be like, what the fuck? This guy, like, they're like, and, yeah, and, totally. and it would be offensive to them. And I think, again, I think your mileage varies on it. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think it's important to like mention because pe- like there are people who yeah. mention that as like one of the more. Well, it's, and, and, and same with the homosexuality right? angle. Yeah, there's these different attributes they give him and they all think the sum total is this to- horrible person. Yeah. And, some of, and yeah. some of these pieces they give him are. Meanwhile, like. Meanwhile, uh, you know, the Atreides are all, like, lean and fits, and they're all, like, fighters, you know? Well, when like... I read Granny Halleck, is kind of like having, like, a paunch, and, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> he's, the, he's the bard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but so, isn't he also the Swordmaster? No, that's Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho yeah, is the Swordmaster. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, that's a really good point, honestly. Hmm. It's, almost... sh- it's, it's shorthand. It's fictional shorthand. And yeah. it's just, yeah. people just, because they, like, you know, when someone creates a work of fiction, like, show, don't tell, right? And, like, sitting here and being, like, this guy is an evil piece of shit, blah, 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 is, like, boring. So instead they show you, like, how they look and how they act, mm-hmm. and, like, those are the shorthands of how you should... It's manipulative, right? Like, all fiction does this. Sure. And so the shorthand he chooses for Baron Harkonnen is, like, super obese, preys on little kids, and specifically boys, right? Uh, is super, 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 super rich. Like, super rich, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, there's all these traits that come together to, like... Your brain, you're grossed out when you're reading. You yeah, know, right. You know, I'm not picturing like uh, like an obese person. I'm picturing like a monster. Like, totally. Like, yeah, like yeah, literally, yeah, like, like yeah. So, something that couldn't yeah. exist in the real and world. And that's why that's why I don't necessarily like agree with it or disagree with it. I think it's like interesting to talk about through the modern lens. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's more what he was going for. Is he's just taking it to such an extreme. I think he's just such an example of like the excesses of this world. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and to me, I've read that as, as, right? as the point of the of, like the character is he's just like he doesn't give a shit about anything. All for him, it's all yeah. about cons- everything consolidating is his power. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 that and that and that philosophy yeah. that he has has come through in his like physical body yeah. in a way. Um, but I yeah, a, I think he's a great villain. Yeah, he's like one of the best yeah. I've read. I like he's, the I like what you said though. Like it is still of its time. It's still like playing on those anxieties and fears of like people what what they didn't want when he was writing it. Mm-hmm. Like those are still like taboo and yeah. bad things. So it's still of its time, but like it's taken to such an nth degree that you can't help but like that's the villain. That level of obesity was also far less common. Like right. back then, yeah. like it's yeah. like it's just statistically like people are more overweight now, especially in the states, than they were. You know, in the 60s, 60s, right? Yeah, sure. So. I, we've all seen these <clears throat> pictures of Woodstock. 
Everyone's just doing cocaine and not eating. She's what about good. what about Chani then? Um, I, I I do actually quite like Chani as a character, but her character is kind of absent in the in the first book. She does exist um, and she does have agency and all that, but she it's not until the second book where you really get to know who she kind of is, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's kind of defined through the lens of her relationship to Paul, right? Whereas yeah, like a yeah. lot of Jessica is with Paul. But she also has a lot of her own journey. But that's basically, like she has her own... that's basically what is kind of being said at the end line of the book. Is yeah. like both of us are defined by these men we are with, essentially. Actually, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You know, but but at the end of the day, they're the ones in control because like the men listen to them, right? Like Jessica, like Duke Leto really respects Jessica and listens to her. In the second book, you get more of the partnership between yes. the two. Yeah, uh, big time. That you don't really see in the first book at all. Like the. I bought their relationship a whole lot more in Messiah, in Messiah yeah, than, yeah. than Dune. Because, like, yeah. Dune, Paul's also what's supposed to be what? Like, 16, 17, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah really. Young. So, Shani's like that. And, yeah, I don't know. They just kind of, like, wind up together, it feels like. Because they do. they're both, like, the same age and in the, you know, yeah. within the siege with each other. Yeah. But in the second book, like, their interplay is really good. Like, they have a really good chemistry. I yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, she really does this. He just kind of, like, meets Chani and then they, like, hang out for a bit. And, like, and they talk. fuck. Yeah. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. So Chani, I guess... sun dies. And it's like, it's just kind of... So then can it... Yeah, it just kind of happens. It just kind of happens. I remember (laughs) off screen. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, oh, my fucking infant son just died. What? That would be a detail I think could be omitted from the... um, From the movie. movie. I think they probably will, honestly. Let it be written that Chani is kind of dated in her writing then. Let it be decided. Because I do think that, like, yeah, in the first... She's kind of a manic pixie dream girl a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> um, I like Gurney Halleck a lot, specifically because he's a bard, and that's interesting. He's, I not, love, he's not just cool sword guy; he's also. I actually, I love the character. I love that he yeah. like yeah. he's real gruff, and he adds a real like. He's gruff, but he has this. Um, well, he plays love this... for art and poetry. Yeah. And... Exactly. Yeah. It's very. Um, it's why Patrick's. He's very uh, Jean Luc Picard, right? Very Jean Luc Picard. Yeah. Very. I know, I know. I know. And so that was the most annoying thing about the book is. Herbert almost de- never describes his characters in detail, but one of the ones that he does describe is Gurney Halleck. And his and, fucked up face. And, and yeah. how he's like ugly and like fat and stuff. And I'm like, I, I'm like, of all characters I want to put an actor into, like I want to put Patrick Stewart here. You know? but I, <laughs> and now fucking Josh Brolin's playing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. Josh Brolin seems like the right guy <laughs> No, to that's me. awesome. Yeah. I just, he's real handsome. Yeah. Just, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Josh Brolin also has that same sort of like gruff, but like artistic Shakespearean way about him. Well, I wanted to talk about Stilgar um, and then um, we can close off with some like final thoughts on the cast of the movie then. But uh, so Stilgar as a character, um, he's like, I guess the mentor, he's like the Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Essentially. <sighs> Almost. There's so many though. Like yeah, you can, th- you can throw Jessica in that. To in me, that like St- Stilgar right. is like the, like the single most fleshed out, interesting representation of the Freeman society, which is why I love him. Cause mm-hmm moral and like has a sense of purpose and you know but he also like is is kind of your bird's eye view into a really do you picture him like speak he's like my name is stilgar yeah i picture very very stoic we are the friends. i kind of pictured him you guys watch um transformers beast wars of course kind of kind of never shuts up about it we should do a whole podcast on that you have to cat you have to do some homework yeah (laughs) great hot take better than reboot anyways oh yeah um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) anyways um he runs like i pictured him kind of like um dinobot yeah my name is dinobot yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. like the freemen are kind of othered up to that point and meeting him 
really deepens them as a, as a society. Actually, I'm going to say this right now. The Fremen is my least favorite part of the book. Stop. What? Yes. Fucking I, idiot. I, I, I like the Fremen. Shut this down. Get out of my apartment. The, <laughs> but the, the thing is, the whole, like, we meet a group of savages in the desert thing, like, I've just, I've read it before. I've, like, that story, the whole, like, oh, we're falling in line with a group of, like, you know, like, yeah, like, nomads. I, I, I resent like, that. That is, yeah. that's not how I read them at all. I think they're very nuanced complex society sure i'm not saying they're not i'm not saying that i'm they are they're great i like the fremen but it's my least favorite part because of all the world building that's going on it's the most familiar to me it's like the whole like we live in caves and we're like a nomadic society blah 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 we're hiding out from there's technology a, there's a theme that's very common like it's the it's like the plot to avatar and the plot to pocahontas of like the Paul, noble savage the, no, the noble savage yes. sort of thing and that that definitely pervades in that but i just something about the fremen i don't know i don't even know what point i'm trying to make i just i i i like them i like them <laughs> i just yeah for me it's just the setting is familiar caves nomadic tribe people the whole like honor and hard living that whole thing that they're doing it's just it's been in tons of fiction before whereas something like I don't know, the Benny Jesuit, I've never read in any other kind of fiction before. Now, there is complexity to the Fremen that's great, for sure, but I find them the least com complex of all the different factions of Dune. They're even less complex than the Spicing Guild, honestly. But something that we haven't even touched on yet, which is another huge thing, is that, like, the Mishinara Productiva, right. uh, and how their influence kind of sculpted the Fremen sort of ideology. I know, they're fools. They've been, they, were, they were bamboozled into following Paul by the Benny Jesuit. I have too much fun reading about the Fremens and still suits and uh, like they, how they worship uh, the the maker, the recycling yeah. of bodies, the recycler. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. yeah, no, there's some cool stuff, and yeah, the whole relationship they have with sandworms, um, that's pretty cool. They're not really like the noble savages. They have their own flaws. They are fucked up in their own ways. They have their own. They they initiate this jihad. It's not so much the noble savage thing. I don't think that I don't think it's dated in the way that it's doing the noble savage thing. For me, it's mostly just the setting of the Freeman, the Freeman setting. But it's just when it's compared to the rest of Dune, it's always the least favorite part. It, it gets yeah. better. It gets better when they start riding the worms around and stuff like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> that's just so cool. Yeah. You're like. <laughs> yeah but yeah like i mean things like that just kind of show that this is a really brutal pragmatic like kind of gross band of survivors like they they have to they have to do this fucked up shit because they exist in such a harsh environment right yeah just want to like yeah let's close it off like are we excited about who's playing any of these characters we've just been talking about stacked but yeah it's great it, like from what i've heard like yeah like we said at the top of this on paper this seems like everything is going right we might be proven wrong by the time the movie comes out you know and then we can get our pitchforks and get on geeks I'm, and gamers I'm, I'm, and yell at them so, so i'm like, not as familiar with um timothy chalamet but i did just watch a movie he was in called uh call me by your name and he was fantastic in it what about uh, so when oscar isaac was announced to play um duke lado I think a lot of people, including myself, were like, what? I thought oh, my my initial great. reaction was like, I think he's too young. Yeah, that was, like, that's, that's exactly what but I But once thought. I saw the picture of the big beard and like, it's modern movies, man. You can make anybody. He's, anybody. he's also like in his late 40s. Like he's older. Yeah. I, I always pictured Duke like older though. I pictured okay. him like in his late yeah, 50s. Yeah, like 50s or something like that. Yeah. But <clears throat> And what's what's the Lady Jessica? Who is that? Rebecca Ferguson, Dr. Sleep, the movie Dr. Sleep that came out not that long ago. So I think she'll was be- Was she the great. main vampire chick? with the hat yes. what about um paul atreides who's this kid timothy chalamet who again i'm not like super familiar with but i just watched i'm in a movie club that like we talk about movie once a week on zoom and oh, the sweet. movie last week was call me by your name yeah and he was fantastic in it so he was playing a really awkward like 17 year old who is struggling with his sexuality 
and he super nailed that in like a really realistic way in the fact that he looked really awkward and did a lot of like things with his body. So we're all optimistic about the cast. I guess that's all we really want to uh, want to say about Dune today. Um, that was the first episode. So I'm sure like as we do more of these, we'll get a lot funnier and stuff like that. So like bear with us. Just listen to many hours of this podcast before it gets good, please. <laughs> Give us a chance. Yeah, just, you know, by hour 50, man, yeah. we're yeah. going to be real yeah. funny. But but, it, but it'll only be funny if you've come with us the whole way. So, <laughs> Final you know, thoughts on Dune? Dune Fox? Yeah. Dune Fox? Dune Fox. Yeah, it's what the kids say. Yeah. yeah, we're very excited. We're big fans of... of uh, I think if, I think if you're a sci-fi fan, you should read Dune. I think anyone who likes sci-fi should... It's not perfect, but it's just so... It really blew my mind, like, just how much of the things I've enjoyed since. Yeah. Like, like Watchmen, like the book Watchmen, like the book Ender's Game, Dune is another one of those things out there that is really, really hyped up. It was really, really hyped up before I checked it out. And I checked it out, and it lived up to the hype. Like, it's one of those rare yeah. instances, um, which is what I've always appreciated about it. It really does if deserve... You, if you work for it. Because it's hard. It's dense. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, well, that's, partially, that's why it's good. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's that's it. We're going to end with one more song from Band C. Um, oh, man, I love Band C. Band C's so good. Band C's so good. Lo- local to Calgary as well, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, thanks, guys. We're the Sci-Fi Punks, and... Um, I don't know what we're going to do next time, but you should check it out. All right, later.